Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, the Hacker Maker. In each episode, I have a guest sharing their story on how they got started in cybersecurity as well as their tips on how to get started. So I'm very excited to have joining me today, John McCoy. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks. It's great to be here. Good to, good to have you. So John and I know each other from InfoSec Twitter, and we've got to meet up a couple times at, at DEF CON. So uh, John is very heavily uh, involved with OWASP, Open, Open Web Application Security Project. So uh, this would be someone to be able to share some information on. I don't think we really had anyone that's mentioned much about OWASP. We've mentioned some of the the aspects of OWASP, like OWASP tech testing guide and OWASP top 10, but really not much about OWASP. So uh, welcome and thanks for, for joining. Nice. It's great to get to talk about security and deep dive with the community. This is awesome. I do a Twitter space every Saturday. I do open office hours. People can show up and get professional advice. I support projects for free and I literally donate professional services on Twitter, like show up Saturdays. The John McCoy, like, very cool. So before we get started, why don't you share about your background? Sure. Um, so I was a hardcore developer, C plus plus, eventually C sharp, and I was I was in the beta of C sharp. I was pulling that thing apart. I was finding vulnerabilities in it as a developer, and before I knew it, I was ending up in a forensics, uh, computer forensics uh, master's class. And I went from a developer that was really skilled to a security engineer that could pull apart malware or reverse engineer. And I eventually started making tools that allowed you to raw edit uh, binary applications. And my goal was to make binary compiled applications, basically open source, where you could have a nice little GUI. It would show you like, C-sharp code and you could just change it and raw edit applications, not decompile, but raw editing. So, um, and before you knew it, I was making really cool cracks and malware and I was just popping open applications and uh, editing in them to get severe vulnerabilities. And I submitted that to DEF CON and they appreciated it. And that was kind of coming in hard, just like, I'm going to make all the malware I can. Very and, cool. It's it's yeah. a good example to hear someone that, that the coding background help because someone's the people are always asking the question whether that that is a requirement or not. Mm. Well, I'm a I'm an AppSec engineer, so I'm I'm as much of a software architect as a security architect. Um, I need to be able to read GitHub PR commits. I need to be able to make architecture diagrams that can hold up against any review of the software dev team. And yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I try to be, I actually take a year or two off now and then and go and take a job as a peer developer just to get back in the trenches and like, what's, has anything changed? Like I'm like kind of just keeping my skills sharp. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good idea. Cause I'm sure is the difficulty of learning how to code and then just giving up those development skills that would be pretty tough <laughs> after, yeah. after spending that time. So yeah, you, you, Speaking of interesting projects, so you, now you've been doing some blockchain-related stuff. I, I remember you discussing. Yep, I, I was, um, so I came into application security through esports and Blizzard and games and digital money, and uh, I went from Blizzard to Amazon doing esports, and before I knew it, I was ending up in fintech because there's a little bit of an overlap there. And I love the security in FinTech, the, the security designs and protocols and standards in FinTech is next level. And before you knew it, I was over in blockchain because that's also FinTech and it pays incredibly well. Um, and it turns out no one has quite solved that whole blockchain security thing yet. So lots of fun. Yeah, at least that, that was good good timing to, to get in there at the, at the time, because I know there's, I mean, even now it's been around, but a little bit, but not all the resources like there are in some more established areas of security and development. A lot of it is greenfield, like some around contracts and like there's a little bit of security forming in companies and a little bit of best practices and known vulnerabilities. But for much of blockchain, it's completely greenfield, not even like not even base layer guidelines or papers or vulnerability lists or risks identified whatsoever. Yeah. So kind of where did you find your resources to learn about, about blockchain? Um, when I jumped into it, I asked all my security friends and of course, a, they don't know blockchain and B most of them hate blockchain. So um, that's, wasn't cool. I went to my classical OWASP. I went and looked in our security knowledge hub of like, do we have any cheat sheets or best practices or top tens? Or um, I went to my hacker friends to um, see what was there. I ended up helping one of my hacker friends make uh, his first CTF that involved blockchain. And uh, Jonathan Marcel, he did a really nice uh, Norsec CTF flag that was uh, blockchain centric. And um, I, I looked everywhere I would normally look and just didn't. There, there just wasn't. And so uh, some of my friends needed help with their projects. And they're like, hey, what's the security? How do I defend against this? And I just started jumping in with the projects themselves and offering security services. I do it in general before blockchain. I offered free security services to new startups or uh, 501c3s or any anyone that couldn't afford security but could need it i offered free security and in blockchain i started getting wallets and projects that actually needed security and i started helping them i started helping recently nft projects that needed security and just just offering services and that's really where i learned i learned the attacks i learned the security i learned the defensive paradigms that i could recommend and what the developers would like and not like and just kind of jumping in and doing it like yeah very cool so yeah it's a 
one of my favorite ways to learn is is hands on because you know it just seems to me it just you just learn it better because even if you're going the you know the route of reading or whatever watching videos then you got to go back and do that yourself to be able to you know understand how it's truly done mm-hmm. so kind of what how did you you know so you must have you must be really good at self-learning to be able to figure out some of these things on your own that you really have resources for are there any any tips or tricks you have for for self-learning figure out how to to learn these things on their own when there really mm-hmm. isn't aren't resources um i mean my main metaphor is it's kind of like going to the gym. If you do it one hour a day, you'll get stronger over a month. If you do it 10 hours a day at the end of a year, you'll be a beast. Like it's all just, and try to make it fun. Try to find a project that speaks to you. It doesn't have to be economically viable. It doesn't have to be whatever. Like, like I would just make key gens against applications because I could like there, it wasn't, I wasn't selling them. I wasn't doing this for some prize. Like, most of them I never released in any capacity, but I made like 200 key gens. I got really good at making key gens. <laughs> and, um, and then I put together an example key gen project for other people to crack. And I ripped out key gens from multiple applications and combined, did a combined application example. Um, I just did things and got really strong at it. And then, um, you just you just jump in and start find something that you can be passionate about for one hour and do that and then jump in the next day and maybe it's something else maybe it's the same thing um and then try and find i would also say if it's something everyone else knows how to do and there's lots of them like like pen uh like scanning web pages for vulnerabilities you there's thousands of people there's thousands of cft conferences there's lots of trainings there's lots of books it's like that's probably best done by pulling the information from the community and if you uh that is probably best done pulling information from the community and not having not necessarily going out and doing blind research yourself if you can find something new that not everyone is doing that no one no one's focused on that no one's doing a defcon talk that something kind of greenfield and that speaks to your skill set then that's something that if you do self-learning and get ahead and you can build one tool that no one else has in the community and you can bring that tool back to the community that's super valuable so if you do go down self-learning try and build a tool try and build a trophy try and build something that shows off you got to the end of it and um yeah very cool. And I think it's an interesting concept of, you know, not staying on the same thing if something else interests you and you're really passionate spending time on that because I think too many times people get stuck doing that same thing, trying to learn it, and they kind of get burnt out or not interested and then just give up on it altogether. So that's an interesting, interesting way to learn. And and if something's hard, build a tool. So, so as far as like on the code on the uh, concept or the subject of, of coding and development, I know a lot of people always ask, do does do they need to learn how to code to get into security? So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And then also, you know, how could it be, how could it be helpful in advancing someone's career if they decide to do that? Yeah, good question. Um, I kind of phrase security as a good second career. So if you're a tax accountant and you pick up security, you can do forensics tax accounting, you can do 
uh, auditing and compliance, and you can run down these things that you can do because you're a tax accountant, and you can apply them to the security field. If you're a developer, then you go into application security. If you're a network engineer, maybe you do DevSecOps. Maybe you do cloud infrastructure hardening or um, uh, logging and alerting and advanced IR infrastructure development. Um, if you're a red teamer, maybe you go into intrusion response or uh, pen testing or, um, I mean, so do you need to be a, a software developer? No. If you are a software developer, there are certain jobs that fit you better than others. So I'm a AppSec security engineer. I work with the SDLC. I work with developers during their design and architecture and development and deployment. I work over the whole life cycle of the product in the end. And being a software developer is critical for that job. I have to know what a what developers do for merging branches. And I need to know what the best practices for Git repos are. And I need to understand how they do scrums and ticketing and backlogs and grooming. And, and if, if I don't understand that, then how can I write a ticket to be integrated into a team if I don't know that you need to get it in their grooming backlog and you need to get their lead engineer to plan it into the sprint. And, and so you have to know you have to know software development to harden software development. You have to know networking to harden networking. You you have to know the underlying skill to do security for it. So, yeah. So if someone is wanting to start out coding nowadays, what would you recommend? What language to learn? Oh, by far, C-sharp is the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, today, if they're planning on ultimately going into security, I would say blockchain. Like you should target if you're if you're going into school right now, say this is a four year, eight year endeavor, and you're going to come out the other side in four, eight years. What should you target in the future is my question. Like, hey, today, I don't know, WAFs are big or whatever data, SQL databases are big, right? I don't know. And it's like, hey, if you're targeting five years in the future, you need to be serverless. You need to be looking at uh, cloud-centric Dynamo or whatever, NoSQL databases. And in four to eight years, blockchain, um, specifically Solidity, contract coding on Ethereum, um, learning how blockchains work and are deployed and built and how dApps are deployed and built and target four to eight years in the future because if it's a job today, it could be automated. You could be going into being an ops engineer and it's like, well, in eight years, we have a tool that does that. So if it's a job today, target in the future, target something that doesn't even exist yet. That's, right. that's some good advice too. Cause when you look at, at cloud, you know, a few years ago, I don't know, five years ago, how hardly anyone knew cloud or cloud security. And then the people that really jumped, jumped in there and started learning it really benefited from it because cloud pays pretty good. But you see, you know, you mentioned the blockchain. I hardly see anyone doing anything with that. So that just seems like a, yeah. a, a great opportunity there. Yeah. And if you're in school today, you'll be able to do more time and research and you'll understand it better than I can. Because I'm not going to spend eight hours a day learning it. 
just not gonna like i'm i'm a practitioner i'm on the front lines like i'm on the other side like if you're in school today you'll be able to know blockchain better than i do and i won't be able to compete with you and you'll be able to outcompete me on my primary focus of blockchain like that's how the world works that's awesome yeah very good advice there so what about certifications uh do you think feel like those are are needed to get into the field um well, the good news, there's no blockchain security certification, so. <laughs> so, so maybe back to my five years in the future, if it's a certification, you're already, that's already losing the game. Like it's a, it's a certification, then you, you pass that right on by. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then one day you'll be applying for a job and they'll require this certain certification and you've been in it all this time, you, how you see some of the ridiculous requirement requirements for jobs sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> the other, the other, there's a hack of it. Say you do blockchain security. You need to start doing that as a professional job, either in school or immediately when you graduate. I don't care that there's no jobs in it. I don't care that no one's hiring. I don't care that you, it's not even a thing yet. It's like open a consultancy and immediately start offering services and go find a client, even if it has to be free or $100 or $1,000. And ironically, the more you charge, the more they'll appreciate your services. So don't don't undersell yourself or else you won't get work. But uh, immediately start offering your services. So when you go to a job four years later and they say, oh, what's your history? It's like, oh, I've been doing professional blockchain security for four years. Like that's, that's legit. And it could easily take you four years to find a job exiting school. Like security is hard. <laughs> like you could find a job immediately after school. It could be four years of like trying to find your market niche and where you fit in a company to hire you and not just bring you in as like a intern that just gets grunt shit work. Like it could take, I mean, security, security is a hustle. Like, yeah. Yeah. Very good interesting advice there. So what about degrees? Uh, do you feel like those are, are needed? And a lot of people, you know, I can see both, but you know, you hear a lot of people really being negative towards that, but I was just curious what your, your thoughts are on degrees. Um, I mean, I loved school. Like it was the one time I could spend eight or 16 hours a day on a computer for six months and not have to justify myself. Like, oh, I'm doing school. That's why I spent the last nine months on a computer. And it's like, if I wasn't in school, that'd be a little weird. That'd be hard to justify. I don't know. Um, I liked being in the research lab. I liked working with other brilliant people and seeing what they're working on and being able to show them what I'm working on. I loved it. Like, if you can find uh, a research lab, then that is the best. Um, that's nice. If you if you can find strong teachers that are really skilled in their profession and you can learn from them, that's awesome. Um, but also if you go to a conference and you can find someone that's teaching a class and just go ask them if you can sit on their class or after the con or after their class is over during the conference, see if you can pick their brains about what tools they use. Like you can learn directly from the community and a lot of us did and do, but, also, you can get really good cyber training nowadays, I think. So um, is it important? Absolutely not. Does it help? 
yeah, maybe a big name, Amazon, Google, whatever it helps. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't shut any doors if you don't have it. Does it make much of a difference? Probably not, but yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to hear the different, you know, because a lot of people base things on their experience, but it just seems like to me, I mean, I just think when anyone, when someone asks me, I think if someone wants to be in cybersecurity, I think, especially if they're wanting to do something like exploit development or some of these other interesting things or security research that if they started out with like a computer science degree and then learn security, I think some cases they'd be better off than just going the traditional security route. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like I said, it's a secondary skill. How do you do IT security if you never did IT? Like, like you're securing something you have no idea how to build or maintain. It's like you you can't build the test to even check to see if it's valid because you never did it. And it's like, yeah, you definitely need to be able to do whatever you think you're securing. It seems like there'd be a lot of benefit, too, on learning how to do, you know, research compared to just trying to learn it on your own. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I would say if you do go to school, you still have to do your own research. Like, like they're going to show you the tools for how to do assembly code. They're going to show you the tools to how to do networking and configurations. But then it's up to you to go and deploy it, go and use it, go and dig into it, like run the extra mile. And it's like, like, and, and just like the one hour a day, if you enjoy assembly code, do it, do it for eight hours a day, do it for six months, get really good, weaponize it, build tools, build cool things. Or you get into assembly code and you're like, this is garbage. Then don't do it. Do something else. Like maybe you're into networking, maybe you're into uh, forensics, metadata recovery or something. So, yeah. Yeah. So before I don't want to miss the opportunity, this would be a great opportunity to hear more about OWASP. If you could share about okay. OWASP with our listeners. Um. So OWASP got me out of writing malware and trying to send vaguely threatening emails to companies where I just like find vulnerabilities and be like, do you want to pay me? Because I have worse stuff. I can I can destroy your world. I'm going to show some of it on stage. I'm going to hurt your company. You should pay me. Like that was my career A path. And OWASP brought different paths to me that were outside of the hacking community. So I met operations and DevSecOps people and security architects and really cool skills that were adjacent. They're almost like the same skills that we use in, in the hacking side, but just kind of inverted a little bit, like the same skills, but the other side of the coin. Um, so you have things like, uh, how do you do lateral pivoting and escalation of privilege in a network and systems? And how do you move around? And it's like, you flip that on its head and it's DevSecOps. How do you build uh, security guardrails? How do you lock down an environment? How do you build logging and detection? And it's exactly the same skill. If you don't know the other one, like say you're an attacker and you don't understand the defensive side, you need to come and learn about how logging and alerting happens. You can come to OWASP. You can come and see what, what an ELK stack looks like, what good security auditing and logging looks like, where alarms are typically set, how they're set, where they feed to. And if you're an attacker and you don't understand that, then you're, gonna, you're not as good as you could be. And so OWASP has a lot of the best practices of everything. 
like um, PCI compliance is derived from OWASP recommendations of best practices. And, and a lot of the standards are defined in OWASP. It's a group worldwide, non-corporate, non-vendor. It's a 501c3, everything is open source. All of the security is open source, best practices, cheat sheets, and it's kind of bringing together all of the best focus from the security community. Um, Zap is a free scanning tool. And so Zap pulls in a scanning report. The scanning report is mapped against the OWASP top 10 and then the OWASP top 10 and the scanning report are mapped against cheat sheets. And cheat sheets are what you can give to a developer to remediate the problem. So you find uh, um, injection in a field. Okay, well, how do you stop injection? What are the best practices? How do you know you did it correctly? How do you, how do you sanitize on uh, JavaScript or HTML5? And, and there's a cheat sheet to walk you through it. Again, from OWASP, like we're, we're other people fighting the same fight, pooling our resources. Um, and every almost every major city has an OWASP chapter. They typically meet monthly. You can just go to OWASP, look up your local chapter, and it'll be like, oh, on the third, you come to this building, you come to this door at this time. It's a presentation. Typically, there's a food, and a vendor has uh, – footed the bill for the location, for the food. You have a speaker, you have security people. You don't have to be a member. It's 50 bucks to become a member for a year. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can show up and get a talk locally from a white hat security expert. And and it's not just white hats. Like we have DEF CON talks. We have hackers in the community. We do hacker outreach at DEF CON. Like it's not just white hats. Like it's, it's the skill of security. So very cool. Yeah, actually, through a OWASP meeting, one of our Dallas OWASP chapter meetings, uh, I got one of my one of my pen test jobs through there. One of the guy, I was ready to get out of consulting because I was having to travel too much. And uh, the guy presenting was working at U.S. Bank, where I ended up going to work. And he was saying, "Yeah, we've got openings if anyone's interesting interested." So I'd uh, passed on my resume. So good good places to network. So long lines, yeah. So while we're on this subject, I think we should dig into to community. How how valuable do you think that is to someone starting out? Um, starting out, yeah. you probably don't have a community yet. <laughs> like uh, step one, yeah. find your people, <laughs> because yeah, later on it'll become invaluable. Um, all I. I don't, I mean, I've gotten a couple of jobs that weren't from recommendations, but all of my good career moves, all of my moving to a really strong company at the right time were all people I knew. And so I think it's essential, both building a reputation, people know you, they can vet you. Um, Security is a small community. And often when I meet someone, I know someone that has worked or knows their research or knows of them or went to the same hacker space as them or OWASP space. Like it's a small community and it's good to look up people and see what they're about and have a reputation. And, um, and it's something that will give you lots of resources and power and opportunities because the community is filled with people that are happy to teach or share or um, yeah, the, the security community has a lot of powerful resources of people. 
And if you can find a way to give back to the community, then that typically really is valued. People see it and people appreciate it. And it helps you build a name, a reputation, helps you build a skill set. And you're the person that made that really cool scanner that they now deploy at their company or or you're the one that figured out the rule set that is now deployed by that scanner or whatever, whatever your niche, if you can do one tiny thing to move the community forward, people appreciate it and see it. Yeah. We're so we're uh, down towards the end of the show. Is there any advice or closing comments you'd like to share? Um, I guess whether you're a, if you go to DEFCON or OWASP, you should probably consider going to the other one. And that when you meet the community and get hands-on with the community, you'll find that they're essentially all the same people. It's all the same skill sets, whether you're at OWASP or DEFCON. They're, they have a passion for this area. They enjoy encryption or authentication. and. Um, and finding people with diverse skill sets is amazingly powerful. And so if you can pick the brain of someone from an IR team about your area, then you could get ideas for how they would attack it. Or yeah, um, diversity in the community really will build your skill sets faster. So try different things, reach out to different communities. Um, and, and to plug it, OWASP has a diversity scholarship and so if you've never come to AppSec USA or some of the local conferences, you can apply it to get a free ticket to to build our community stronger, to bring in people that would never normally attend our conferences. And so there if you're a college student going to DEF CON, there's probably a free ticket in the diversity scholarships at OWASP for you. So or outreach scholarships. Great advice. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join. It was an honor to have you on the show. Yeah, this was great. I love it. And thanks for building this. This is part of community. This is this is what keeps us going and uh, helps share the information. I appreciate this so much. It's an honor. It's just a way to direct people to other people that they can learn from. And it's just interesting the way the different episodes resonate differently with people. Someone can, they see someone else has been in this area. They went to the same school, they had the same background, had the same former career. And, and, you know, they can kind of uh, identify with that. And it's uh, interesting. So it's good to have the different voices and different stories. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for joining. And we'll see you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.